It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Five minutes, please. Thank, Thank you. you. Five. Okay. Halloween edition. <laughs> Ooh, scary. Ooh. Uh, so, hey, Matt, how's it going, going on this oh. Halloween oh. edition? Although, technically, it's the day after Halloween, yeah. but whatever. Who cares? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. It's still, we, there's still a lot of darkness. Yeah. Uh, so, it's fine. <laughs> but you know what's not dark? Yeah. The two guests that we have today. Yay! Hi! Hey, hi! <laughs> Please Hello. introduce yourselves. Well, hi, my name is Chris. Hi, hi. I'm Chris. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. We need to know this. Uh, we, yeah, we're here to, uh, we're, we're so pleased to see you guys. We're coming across yeah. the Atlantic. Yeah. I know. It's our first like international episode i'm not yeah. sure what that term is oh great uh-huh. <laughs> well, we're very honored thank you so much yeah and you both are from the out for blood podcast correct ah yeah i don't know why i'm asking right. that like it's you know like i don't know who i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. this feels really appropriate this is like a carrie the musical is all about you know a u.s and a uk co-pros right so this, mm-hmm. is, this is very topical this is perfect yeah, <laughs> yeah. And nice I think Halloween. I have some Jello in the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you wanted me to be here. <laughs> I don't have a light up staircase though. That's on my ah. list. Oh, well, I'm leaving. 
Right. I'm a rider. I specifically requested it. Yeah. Only sake. red M and M's and a light up staircase. And white, yeah. A dangerous staircase. Mm-hmm. It has to have an element of danger. Yes. Sorry, all of these reference, all of these references are just meaningless until we explain. You know, well, they will in a minute. I think there's like replay value so that yeah. you know these can come back and go in. Yeah. And there'll be like the few people who will like actually know what we're talking about already. Like our one listener who like has actually familiar with all of this, and then he'll be just. Of course, it's a he because I'm probably sure I know who it is. But like, um, but it's me. you know, yeah. Anybody will be like, you know, oh yeah, I get that reference. I'm I'm cool. I'm I know theater. I make street scene references. Oh wow! Yeah, I know that person. Um, so um what is the out for blood podcast well out for blood podcast is uh, is our new podcast which is really too much information about carrie the musical (laughs) so we we basically uh, it's not possible well you'd be surprised um (laughs) holly and i met when what would you what nearly 20 years ago i guess Jesus Christ, that ages us, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Not no. quite that long ago. No, nearly. No. So you met when you were five. We met yeah. when we were five, yeah. <laughs> when VHS tapes were still a thing. And um, we acquired, as many people in our you know, demographic did, mm-hmm. a VHS tape of um, Carrie the Musical, which we couldn't believe was a thing. But it is a thing, and it had, um, it, as we'll talk about, you know, Carrie had opened in the late 80s here in the UK and then transferred to Broadway, and it became this kind of urban legend musical theatre flop. And we kind of got obsessed with it, and we've been quoting it at each other for the last X number of years. And we thought, you know, with everybody trapped in their homes in the midst of a global <laughs> pandemic, hilarious, um, it would be a good That's chance to... Yeah, captive audience. It would be a good chance to track down, you know, the original cast and people who went to see the show and kind of dig into the oh wow, into the mysteries of the of the musical. Yeah, Fantastic. yeah, that's really incredible. I um, I've said this on the podcast before, but I mainly know my my first introduction to Carrie was that um, when you were a theater student and you have you enter New York, um, and this is basically like post nineteen eighty five. The moment you get off of the bus or you get off of the train and you're like, you know, I'm on my way to Tish. I have my bag. I am ready. (laughs) Somebody is there waiting. And one of the things that they hand you is a copy of a book called Not Since Carrie, A History of Broadway (laughs) Musical Flops. And it catalogs, it opens up with this giant description of Carrie the musical and everything that, what was it, Ken? Ken Mandelbaum? Mandelbaum, Ken Mandelbaum. Uh, The writer who I think is a, theater critic um details everything that he thinks went wrong with the show yeah and then he we goes into the Bible. A, yes yeah. exactly yeah. Yes. and then he goes into a list of like other flops that either um they failed themselves or an occasional broadway failed them mm-hmm. yeah and then ends with another discussion of carrie and mm-hmm. it is one of those like life-changing theater student moments exactly oh wow yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah i it's one of those books that I think, you, as you say, you know, everybody 
everybody who's interested in musical theater owns a copy of it and it's always mm. on that shelf when you go around you're like ah the carry bible is here <laughs> yes. you're I've, one had, of us. I've had to replace my copy a few times because it just keeps getting the the spine breaks because yeah. i'm laying in bed reading it like tell me more about portofino <laughs> yeah well yeah i did that i've done that where i've gone looking for cast recordings of like um I think one time I was trying to tr track down any sort of recording from the musical First Impressions, which was mm. a Hermione Gingold uh, vehicle based off of Pride and Prejudice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And from what I understand that it, it did not work. <laughs> yeah. And there is a reason why nobody's tried to produce Pride and Prejudice as a musical ever since. Yeah, you can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that book needs a, that book needs a sequel because there have been I think it was published in like 1992 or something and if yeah. you think of the the flops mm -hmm. that we've had since then you know yeah. someone needs to write not since Carrie two still yeah. not since Carrie yeah not it's since Carrie two the rage sorry the rage, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> very good sorry like okay. I demand justice for high fidelity <laughs> yeah not since Carrie two turn mm. off the dark yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, that would probably be a, yeah. a good name for the sequel. Yeah. That is pretty mu pretty much the most infamous one <laughs> lately. Yes. Was that a flop? I don't really. It it couldn't have made money. <laughs> I think it. The only reason, if it, I guess, I feel like it's one of those ones that was so front loaded with money that I feel like if it True. didn't make money, it was because they dumped in so much money at the get-go that there was no way they could ever make it back <laughs> yeah yeah i think it ran for quite a long time didn't it? yeah it ran for a few yeah. years well, it, well it, yeah. it previewed for like yeah months and months and months mm -hmm. they just refused yeah. to open yeah i i got to see it on opening night i did not did see any of the previews so by opening night it had been really smoothed out but a lot of the more egregious parts of it had been excised right. like I did not get to see the infamous shoes number, oh, which shame. makes me sad. And for those yeah. of you who are listening who don't know what that is, um, originally <laughs> the second act was going to be that the villain was not the Green Goblin. The villain was Arachne, who uh, you see at the very beginning of the show. And in this, she, as she is the goddess of the net, she takes over the internet and creates uh. all of the holographic villains. And there's one point in time where she says, what does that Mary Jane have that I don't got? Shoes. And then a whole bunch of like tap dancing spiders come out and they do a whole number about <gasps> shoes. Wow. I wish oh. we'd see. I think, uh, I think we went to New York around the time, you know, the previous yeah, we did. Going. Yeah. I wish we'd mm -hmm. seen it. I think we went to see other things instead, but if only we'd known. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of shows <laughs> that I just was sort of like, why do I want to go see that? And then yeah. It blows up, and I'm like, yeah. "Why didn't I go see that?" Right? Uh, yeah. No one like told me he... there was a spider. No one told me there was a big spider number in it. Yeah. Well, what I did hear from a lot of people who saw it in previews was that um, when it wasn't like blow your mind, what the fuck is going on? It was very. It got boring really fast. Right. Um, Such a so, <laughs> Yeah. So it's kind of like it does that, like. Um, <laughs> Yeah, they should have put that on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Right? So they excise that number. Um, I mean, when I saw it, it was fine. It looked like it was should be condensed down to a 90-minute Vegas show. And right. just sort of like one act, 
spectacle your brains out and then you know yeah. everybody goes home and enjoys the buffet <laughs> Amazing. an old roommate of mine uh was actually friends with one of the cast members um and another thing that the show that spider-man was infamous about was the uh the injuries uh yes. to the to the many different spider-men in the show yeah. and he was one of them and he had somehow yeah. damaged his spine oh. not like to the point where he was like paralyzed or anything but um something that is probably going to cause him pain for the rest of his life oh. um so we uh we threw a party one night and he came by and i it was everything i could do to like just not you know, barrage him with a wall of questions like, and then what happened? Because um, I was dying to know, but you know, I I figured it was his night off and he didn't want to uh, yeah. deal with that. So, Speaking <laughs> of injuries in a show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great segue. Right? <laughs> I couldn't have written that if I wanted to. What could to. you be talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> um, so before we actually get into talking about the show itself, like it has a very infamous history of getting to the stage itself. Um, the only thing I can say for certain that I know about the history of the show is a um, urban legend that somebody had gone to go see an <laughs> opera and they were like already kind of working on Carrie. And so somebody said, um, I don't know what the opera has to do with this, but somebody has basically said like, oh, this should really, like, I think this show should be more like Grease. And what they were thinking was Grease the musical. So it should be very like bright and bubbly against like this very horrific background, like with this, this very horrific story against this bright, bubbly 50s yeah. um, teenage background. And that the <laughs> producer heard Grease, like ancient Greek theater. And so that's how we got the like, opening togas. with the togas <laughs> yeah that, that's kind of the that's kind of the myth yeah and we've kind of delved into it and there are all kinds of variations of it aren't there i mean mm -hmm. the kind yeah. of the kind of the personnel you, you've got here you have this incredible team uh as you say um it was michael gore and dean pitchford who had uh you know had great success in the 80s with shows like fame which was mm. just a huge enormous like global franchise and footloose which dean created and then uh, you also had larry cohen who had written the screenplay for the carrie movie a few years earlier so you had this kind of perfect team and then two of them went as you say two of them went to see an opera called lulu at the met and it was um, i've never seen it but i think it's quite a disturbing story it has a really dark ending mm. I think Jack the Ripper is involved somehow. Yeah, it's basically yeah. the play, isn't it? The play is very, very dark and yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And they kind of came out and, like, as you say, they were like, you know, if if the if Alban Berg, who wrote Lulu, had been around today, he'd probably make a opera out of Carrie, and that kind of okay. triggered the triggered the inspiration. And then later, they got um, they got involved with uh, the artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, of all things. Uh, a guy called Terry Hands, who was based over here in Stratford-upon-Avon, which is this kind of sleepy little town uh, in the UK where the RSC is based. And he was obviously um, used to directing the classics and Shakespeare. And I think one of the producers, as you say, had said to him, you know, how are you going to tackle these scenes set in the high school in, uh, in, in America with a prom and all this kind of stuff that didn't really exist in the UK in the 
80s mm-hmm. and they encouraged him to make it like Greece. And, and as you say, the rest is history. He kind of misunderstood <laughs> and yeah. off he went and make it, made it very ancient Greece instead of, instead of Danny and Sandy Greece. Yeah. <laughs> Was nobody kind of like, hey, wait a second. Why, why is everybody in really big masks? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not kind of quite... the tragic thing if they didn't really like, left hand didn't speak to the right hand. They were kind of yeah. like, I don't think they ever had that conversation. Mm. They just yeah. went ahead with it. <laughs> and yeah. it does have huge themes. It has themes. You can relate to Greek tragedy. It's, it's got a, a kind of Electra story at the heart mm. of it. And a, mm. it, it's very tragic and yeah. it's hyper drama, isn't it? Mm. So it, he wasn't, he almost wasn't wrong, but it was just yeah. wrong Brit. <laughs> Not what I expected. Have either of you, um, before all of this, Carrie, the musical stuff, had you read the book or seen the movie? Yeah, I kind of was a bit of a Stephen King kind of addict Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager. So Mm -hmm. I kind of, you know, read the novel and seen the movie. I think you had too, Holly, as well. It's one of of those things that I think everyone is kind of Mm -hmm. familiar with, even if you haven't read it or you haven't seen it. You kind of know the, you know, the tropes and what it's all about. You've seen the parodies and everything mm-hmm. like that. It's yeah. kind of one of those mm-hmm. those mainstream things, isn't it? And it's yeah, it's it's the movie is obviously great and it's, you know, everything that they built in that movie in terms of tension and drama mm-hmm. kind of got lost when it moved to the stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I don't know what I mean, the movie is is great. I I love um one thing that always cracks me up in a way is watching Piper Laurie because um, I associate her, I know other people goes the other way around, but I associate her with this other 80s movie called Return to Oz, where (laughs) she plays um, Aunt Em. Yeah. Um, And so when I watched Carrie for the first time, I was like, oh, why is Aunt, oh, that's Aunt Em. Oh, when she's bad, oh, okay. Kind of like the very first time I saw Upstairs, Downstairs, I was like, oh, that's Jean Marsh and she's not evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the movie, the Carrie movie also has Betty Buckley in it, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. plays the gym teacher. And then he's also in the musical on Broadway, which is a really yeah. kind of cool connection. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she, I think, you know, she'd been in other, she'd been in sitcoms and stuff over there. I, I think she's much mm-hmm. more well known. Uh, on your side of the pond than here but you know she's yeah. a big a big name for the show and a, and a really kind of yeah. interesting connection to the movie i mm. think when this finally came to broadway like wasn't this was what 88 yes yeah. so that would have been a year or two after the mystery of edwin drood yeah which i right. believe was what 86 86 87 yeah 86 87 so yeah, yeah she would have like been like tony winning yeah um hmm. Or at least like associated with a Tony winning vehicle. And, and, yeah, well, and she, bef- won a, Sorry. She, she won a Tony for, for cats on Broadway yeah. as well. So True. You know, she was I think that was that was around that time as well. So she was mm-hmm. a big she was a big deal, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um although she did replace um she was replacing Barbara Cook, who is the titular um accident on a stage. Yeah. <laughs> as we yeah. were discussing. Um, and it was a big deal because Barbara Cook had not been in a Broadway show since 1971, uh, a show called The Grass Harp. And she's the original Marion the Librarian in The Music Man. She was the original mm-hmm. Kunagunda in, in Candide. Uh, so this was supposed to be her big return. But, David, if you want to, or, I, I was or gonna Chris like, or Holly, if you, if you want to. Chris or Holly, he says, it's like, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
they coaxed her back. You know, mm. they, yeah. the voice, the voice of, of those uh, iconic roles. You think about someone who's able to sing Kunigonda like that, that incredible mm. operatic power. Yeah. And given this and, and the score of Carrie is very operatic it has it has the capacity for that like we were saying about the link with Lulu is that but it's a different voice to the voice that maybe people know what would associate with Betty Buckley they're both mm-hmm. fantastic but they're quite different mm-hmm. and uh Barbara Cook had, had been convinced to kind of come out of semi-retirement to come and do this do this role as Stratford upon Avon, and she sort of found herself. And I, I, I have you guys been to Stratford? Have you ever been? <laughs> I've been to England, but I haven't been to Stratford. Yeah, it's a really I mean, like a lot of people like. I mean, we, we Chris and I both live in London, and and mm. Stratford it's Shakespeare's birthplace, and it's it's essentially like it's a kind of a theme park for Shakespeare. It's sort of, <laughs> it's all very you know hey nonny nonny <laughs> and very sleepy and quiet, and suddenly. Barbara Cook's there and the cast of fame are there and <laughs> and, and those two things are insane <laughs> to be in the same place. Yeah. And yeah, so there's the incident with, with the staircase, Christian. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So I think there are lots, I, this is another thing that we've been trying to unpick. There are all these urban myths and urban legends around the show and you know, something happened. It wasn't quite as dramatic, I think, as, as people have been led to believe over the years. But um, the show was very kind of technologically advanced for its time. It had all of this, although it was a very sparse looking set, it had all of this automation and the walls would kind of roll in and fold in on themselves. Um, and there was this epic kind of moment at the end of the show, um, which you mentioned, where um, I think Terry Hans essentially was trying to compete with the other sort of mega musicals of that time, like Les Mis, which had its, you know, those barricades that mm. rolled on and Phantom that had that crashing chandelier. And he had this amazing kind of moment at the end of the show where this huge white gleaming staircase descended from the top of the stage, like a kind of stairway to heaven metaphor i guess and it was also kind of very greek temple-ish as well you know he was still working on his greece thing um so there's this kind of legend around for all of these years that that um, oh yeah also had this kind of hole cut in the middle which fit perfectly around this kind of altar in the middle of the stage that um lindsay Haitley, who was playing carrie was standing on after doing her big destruction moment spoiler at the end of the musical um and then barbara would descend from the top of the staircase and it was all very uh you know beautiful and, and mythical but there was this urban legend that the staircase on the opening night of the show in Stratford had almost kind of clunked her on the head and decapitated her <laughs> sorry I shouldn't I should not laugh because this is really dangerous it, yeah. but, but also Barbara had had this terrible time in Stratford and you know had basically made this big mistake she realized very quickly that she had got herself involved in something that was not really for her it didn't suit her style of singing she didn't think the material was up to scratch she was just having basically a a crappy time um so this kind of incident which i think it wasn't actually the staircase but it was another set piece earlier in the show had almost Mm. kind of clunked her on the head um and i think that was her moment where she fully decided that she did not want to go with the show to broadway and she had had enough. <laughs> <laughs> Until these things stop happening, this thing yeah. does not yeah. happen. <laughs> exactly. And you know, she's Barbara Cook. She can, she can do she it. She can do that. Yeah. yeah. At that point she, in time, she was yeah. like, I've, I've originated all these different roles. I feel yeah. like you had to get me out of retirement. Yeah. And now look, you nearly chopped my head off with a piece yeah. of sand. 
So, so yeah, so from what everyone has said, what everyone has told us in their interviews is mm. that, you know, that piece of set was never seen again. And yeah. uh, Barbara did not do that moment. Mm. And, you know, she was she was also quite frail. You know, she was I think I don't want to make her sound ancient, but she was in her 60s. She was kind mm. of, as we say, she had done a show for a long time. And this mm. was a very suddenly a very physical role. Mm. And it was interesting. Well, later that when they recast the role with with betty buckley i think betty was about 20 years younger than than Mm -hmm. so it's a very different performance well i also feel that um 60 in 1988 is very different from 60 in 2020 yeah um you know i i remember a couple years ago um my grandmother had passed away and we were like looking through a lot of her 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 um photo albums and things and there was one wedding from like 1965 or 1970 or something and um it was a lot of her like her aunts and uncles and parents and everybody so it was like that generation so my great grandparents they were all in their 50s but they looked like one <laughs> they looked like they were all about like one year away from death you know <laughs> and i think it's just like it's just that that different process of aging yeah. and i'm sure they all smoked and drank like yes. yeah. chimneys yeah. um yeah. didn't take care of themselves and yeah and you know nothing- she had this she'd had this lovely few years of her of you know the end of what she saw as the end of her career where she was doing these lovely gentle cabaret shows and mm-hmm. you know making cameo appearances and things and all of a sudden she was like flown across the globe and flinging a 17 yeah. year old around the stage and mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. it was a lot i guess and <laughs> it, was, it was not for her yeah and speaking of that 17 year old Lindsay hadley <laughs> um our carrie who i believe started with the has like oh wait she wasn't in the like studio whatever it was like the, the original thought but she started with stratford on upon stratford on avon and then stayed with it throughout until broadway um is she more she's more like west end is she yeah because because yeah. I, I know the name and i know i have cast recordings with her but they're usually been more things in london not new york mm-hmm. Yeah, she originated the narrator in Joseph. That okay, was, yeah, that was one of her. And like, mm-hmm. um, and this was her debut, professional debut, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she'd done something as a child. I think she was in Annie. I think as a child, oh, but this was yeah. a big kind of who what, who uh, hasn't been in who Annie? Hasn't been <laughs> <as a> child. <laughs> I, I played Annie. Pepper three times. Yeah, <laughs> I was the dog. Uh, <laughs> But no, Annie, Annie Golden did it in the in the in the workshop. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was something I was super surprised to find out. Although I also I think for a long time I I, I it took me a while to realize which orange is a new black character Annie Golden played. Yeah, <laughs> so I was very confused for a moment See, i had yeah. i had loved her since uh the original recording of assassins had come out and yeah. she was uh squeaky okay um, and so i was like "Ooh, annie golden and then i was like oh she's in the movie of hair and then yeah. when i heard that she had done the um the workshop or the you know, yeah the yeah. i guess workshop i guess would be the best word for it uh playing carrie i was like wouldn't she have been like 35 at this point <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Okay. She was the, um we 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 interviewed her for the podcast and she is oh, just wow. absolutely fabulous. Oh, she um, she's she's so full of incredible stories mm-hmm. and um she yeah, she's just 
you know, even e- even after we did the interview, she was emailing us pictures from the show and all oh, this wow. kind of stuff. It was just so great to speak to her. And, and she had so many memories of it, considering she's done so much stuff. And she, mm-hmm. you know, she kind of started as a punk. She was in, you know, punk bands and CBGB mm-hmm. performer and all that kind of stuff in the 70s and 80s. And then um, they took her for this role. And there's a recording of the workshop with Carrie, amazingly, on YouTube. Oh, wow. And you can oh. listen to her. She, even though she's, yeah, as you say, she's in her thirties. I think she sounds like she's about fourteen. Yeah, she yeah. just has that voice that just yeah, yeah. makes her so much younger. Like yeah. the the thirty seconds that she sang on "Orange Is the New Black," I was just like, yeah. oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, she wouldn't be the first thirty-five-year-old to play a high school student. I mean, no. um, Jason Priestley I mean, and Jason. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say like the entire cast of Nine Hundred Two One Zero. Yeah. The whole premise of Greece is to be yeah. 35 year olds playing 16 yeah. year olds. Yeah. Well, Lindsay, when Lindsay did the role, she was only 17. She auditioned when she was 16 and she was offered the role on her 17th birthday. So, you know, oh, wow. she was really young. Yeah. Yeah. Like both. That's kind of amazing that she is like the actual age of the character, which very yeah. rarely happens, especially with teenagers. But also, um, that's definitely got to be a bit of a. Um, a risk to take you know yeah i think it was i think you know it was it was a scary role to take on right and mm-hmm. you know and, and we when we spoke to Lindsay, and Lindsay's fabulous and she's extremely kind of humble and honest isn't she holly she just so kind of, down to earth like yeah, yeah she's a t- tremendous talent and she's yeah self-deprecating and yeah. yeah wonderful woman yeah but she kind of went through this carrie-esque story herself doing this show you know she was kind of given this she she sort of felt like the underdog in a way in the way that Carrie does in the story and she was offered this incredible role and she became this kind of big name for a while and was flown off to Broadway and then kind of had this dream snatched away from her and it was a, a really quite traumatic I don't want to speak on her behalf but I think quite a traumatic experience for someone so young um yeah, I won't, I won't spoil the podcast, but the show closed very quickly. After <laughs> <this>. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it came over to the U.S. It went to um, what was the Virginia Theater. It's now the August Wilson. Um, if you've seen, if you, um, as of 2020, before Broadway uh, had it completely shut down, if you had seen anything at the August Wilson, and I believe it's Mean Girls is playing there right now, or was playing there, right? What is time? um uh that's the the theater that it was at i had a dance teacher who i believe auditioned for carrie and i think i don't remember if he was like in the chorus or not but i think he said that the uh, like he remembers auditioning at the theater that is now a giant church on 50th street Hmm. Um, but this is like me remembering this from 10 years ago from him telling it. So I could be completely 100% wrong about this. Um, but yeah. Um, so it transferred to Broadway and let's get into this show. Let's go in. Um, our very first number is, um, the song in speaking of going in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which we've discovered is really hard to use in a sentence. Yeah. yeah. The name of the song. It's very mm-hmm. confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's, I don't, but I also don't know if you could do it a different way, like, um, like be in or. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. just would be like weird. 
Yeah. Um, the in crowd, I guess, is the kind of. In the workshop, it had a different, it was called Ain't It a Bitch when it was in the workshop, mm -hmm. which is quite kind of a cool title, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was toned it's down just, slightly. <laughs> just open that up with that profanity. Yeah, I'm just thinking exactly. about, I'm, I'm thinking about the stage managers who's like going through, like, who's going to be called on the day. It was like, are they in, in? They're, they're not, <laughs> they're, they're not in, in. Okay. <laughs> and just how crazy that might have made them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I like, like you guys, I, uh, I had the VHS tape of the, of the bootleg and I watched it so often. I, I, I studied it. Um, the, 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 the audio isn't fantastic. So you couldn't really make out a, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the lyrics. Um, but one of my favorites is from the, from the song in, and I worry, what if all my end should split? Yeah. I, love I worry I just... again for emphasis. Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 a it's, it's a bit actually a bit of a catchy song. It is. Um, it's lovely. Great song. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I, intense, isn't it? It's, in I, fact, I mean, I, I was going to say people may know it from the off-Broadway recording because there's no cast recording from the '80s, and it's mm -hmm. a very the the version on the new cast recording from 2012 is very different to the mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. '80s version of it. This is me getting Carrie geeky now. It's <laughs> oh yeah. <very> <laughs> Oh no, that's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> the very original go like the original cat, the original cast, original Broadway eighties, um, is like a black stage with a whole bunch of um, uh, women who are supposed to be teenagers, and they're all wearing these like toga style mini skirts, mm -hmm. and they're doing a very strenuous um, like Jane Fonda workout kind of yeah. aerobic. Which is also kind of amazing because then like the the gym teacher like basically comes in and starts like all berating them for being too fat in song. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the morals of this is, uh, you know, a mm, bit dubious. Yeah. Whether yeah, whether you should really yeah. shout this stuff at, at teenagers is the, mm. you know, I mean, I guess have, it was the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, like in the movie, Betty Buckley as the gym teacher, she she's smoking in front of the kids. She slaps yeah. one of them to calm yeah. calm uh, mm -hmm. she slaps Carrie to calm her down. Yeah. Yeah. Um side note, um I have been listening to a new podcast called um Maintenance Phase and they recently did us a whole thing on the um in the US the 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 presidential excellence achievement for PE or whatever it was like basically like we had to do all these tests like if, if you grew up in the U.S. in a certain time frame um there would be this one day where they were just sort of like okay run a mile okay now do 15 push-ups okay now do 30 sit-ups and like sometimes they would even add like okay now climb this rope okay do as many like pull-ups as you can and it like came from this like these studies in the 40s and 50s that were comparing American students to European students. And I think even like, like it started with like comparing American students to like Nazi Germany students. Wow. <laughs> and they talk about it just sort of as it's like, like what started that? What was the thought process behind putting all of these in, but also bringing it to a point of like this, like this 80s culture of the this like this gym class from hell that a lot of Americans, a lot of American high school students went through in like the eighties and nineties. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
And that, so, uh, yeah. Is, is that from the guys that do You're Wrong About? It's not the same. No, this is, uh, it's brand new. Um, uh, I'd have to, I, I forget who the, the, the guy on the show is, but it's also done by like, if you've ever followed the Twitter account, Your Fat Friend. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's absolutely amazing and um yeah so when i heard when like i was listening to it and then she said like she said like oh yeah i run the your fat friend account i was like oh i'm in on this 100 percent oh wow that's so interesting yeah yeah i guess it's um i said we, we've been speaking quite a lot about uh, a lot of our guests about uh femininity to do with carrie and femininity and physicality i think in that first number is very it's very interesting but also what you're talking about that kind of like endurance test to prove your worth in a way mm -hmm. like it's very much quantified in terms of social standing in that number mm -hmm. it's like well if you've got to be thin to be in you've got to you mm -hmm. if you don't conform if you don't pass the test mm -hmm. that seems like something's kind of endemic in the 80s doesn't it like if you don't yeah I guess that's kind of in like American Psycho as well, isn't it? In, in mm -hmm. sort of written into the fabric of that, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, of, of that kind of thinking about who who you are. Identity in the eighties is is combined with your kind of your, your the way you look and the, mm -hmm. who you are, kind of yeah, intermingling. Right. I know that the, the two thousand twelve like took that, mm -hmm. but did a different version of it where the, it was like all of the clicks singing about how they want to be in and be cool as if it was sort of like a updated high school opening to ragtime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is a good way of describing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 It was much more interesting. We, we kind of compared it to spring awakening, didn't we? It was okay. very kind of, you know, very in, in, introspective, much more kind of, yeah, grungy and mm -hmm. kind of, you know, moodier, mm -hmm. whereas the eighties just went full fame yeah. on it <laughs> i do have a random question here um i feel like because I, this will probably sound uh, i will probably ex be expressing my ignorance but i will do that for the podcast <laughs> um i'm not familiar with the british school system i just know that it is different from the u.s um and since i feel that carrie uh from a movie and definitely from the 80s uh, the musical in the 80s is so incumbent on american high school tropes mm. how does that translate to non-americans yeah well i think in the 80s it was much more alien to, mm -hmm. i think now you know we've had so much tv and movie you know we, we, we kind of feel like we know american high schools quite well and i think mm -hmm. i don't think in real life our schools are I quite like that but I guess probably your schools aren't really like that either you know they're kind of it's, it's kind of like a, a cliche nowadays but I think in the 80s it was certainly something that Brits weren't as familiar with and I think that's one of the criticisms that's leveled at the show so much is that you had this you know this British guy in I think he was in his 40s at this time who had no idea what a prom was had no idea what it was oh. like to be an American teenager suddenly directing this show that was supposed to be set in an American high school um, yeah. and you know he was off crafting these beautifully kind of operatic scenes for Carrie and the choreographer Debbie Allen who mm. you know was this huge name at the time was was doing the American high school stuff and they were trying to weld the two worlds together but that, you know, Terry just had no clue what these scenes should look like. And it just became this kind of huh. fractured mess. <laughs> yeah. That goes On back to the, 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 I think that goes back to what Holly was saying about the right hand not knowing what the left hand yeah. is yeah. doing. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> it 
On, yeah. One of the things that I, I love about um, Debbie Allen's uh, choreography for this, uh, for the for the opening number particularly, is the end where it goes into this cheerleader circle. And, mm-hmm. and it's not like they like climb on each other. They're holding on to battens and they get raised by the fly rail. Um, but uh, but it, it really goes goes into what you were saying as well, Holly, about um, wanting to be in. And the cheerleader in American high schools is like the apex of cool and the apex of in. Um, so I, I I thought it was. Uh, maybe a little clunk, clunkily executed, but a brilliant picture, a brilliant mm-hmm. tableau for it. Yeah, I feel like we just saw that too with uh, the documentary Cheer that everybody watched on Netflix. Yeah. Like that idea of that cheerleader uh, image yeah. being so endemic of like this American experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just don't have you know, we don't have cheerleaders. And I think, you know, school sports here is just nothing like, you know, you guys have over there. It's just not mm. a thing. Yeah. Um, so I think it takes a bit of, there's a bit of lost in translation. And I think that definitely panned out mm. when, the show, when the show played in Stratford. I think for the most part, people just had no clue what was, <laughs> you know, particularly as they, you know, the, we haven't even mentioned it here, but, you know, Carrie's got this special skill. She's telekinetic. Mm. Uh, which is, you know, something that is that the word is never mentioned in the show. Mm. They barely hint at the fact that she has this special power until the very end of the show. So the audience was just kind of confused by all of these, firstly, by all those American references. And then secondly, by the fact that she was able to to kill all her schoolmates using her mind through the power of lasers. Yeah. Yeah. I think in terms of that kind of uh, the, the... The American British divide thing, like now, from the perspective of when Chris and I discovered it, so and when when we were at university <coughs> a while ago, uh, <laughs> we 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 knew what cheerleaders were. We we knew mm-hmm. most of it. But like Chris, you had a, a a poster on your wall from the movie of Carrie that said, "Yeah, uh, bring Carrie as your date to the party." Like yeah. the prom was an alien concept yeah. in this country. Okay. We didn't yeah. know, like, even in my, like, I'm, I'm, I'm 35. There you go. Mm-hmm. Hey, God, <laughs> uh, but like, it, it, even at my school introduced the prom. That was the first year. We, we it was always a party before that. Mm-hmm. It's like the frame of reference is so different. Uh-huh. And in 1988, it was, it was just, it was anathema. They didn't understand. It was completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the the flip side of that is whenever Americans think about British people going to school, it's like, well, they get sent to Hogwarts and then (laughs) they're there for seven years. And I I guarantee it is not Mm. like that. (laughs) Yeah, the the closest thing I do have to know, understanding um, the British school system is there's a scene in Bend It Like Beckham where Uh her mother is like not opening um a letter that she got from the school and she's like praying in front of like the the statue of of the 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 swami basically like saying like please send her the a-level results please send her the a-level results and like i mean when i saw it i was kind of like oh i guess that must be kind of like sats or like something that seemed to be a big deal but it was just like i don't know what the a-level results are but Yeah. yeah 
Yeah, your A levels. You do when do you do your A level? Seventeen, eighteen, seven. Just before mm-hmm. you go to yeah. yeah, just before you finish school. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, they're like your final, final, final exams before you go to okay. university. And the grades from your A levels kind of uh, tell you which university you can or can't go to. Oh, ah, okay, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I figured it was something like the SATs we had. Yeah, here, where so. you like, yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. SATs, yeah, SATs got mentioned in in as well. There's an in reference mm. for you. Yes. Oh, the. Um, so yeah, even more stuff oh, for us right. not to understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can just then see it like it's the whole thing of like I don't know drive-ins and proms and cotillions yeah. and um... crackerjack. <laughs> what the hell is a crackerjack? There's a, whole, there's a whole song in the show called Crackerjack mm-hmm. when it was in Stratford, and and they changed the name of it because people didn't know what a crackerjack was. I had to Google it. Like yeah. the like the, the box candy? the snack. Yeah. Yeah. Popcorn. Oh, okay. popcorn? Yeah. It's yeah, popcorn it's like, and peanuts with like uh caramel, caramel. coating. Right. And there's always a prize inside. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, usually like yeah. a sticker. Yeah. Yeah. So the it song was... out the song Out for Blood, as it became known, which is the name of the podcast as well, but the mm-hmm. song was originally called Crackerjack when the show was on in Stratford. Okay. That's the one where they're they're visiting the pig farm, isn't it? That's yeah. The one. Okay. Yeah. We'll I'm wondering that. where Crackerjack gets Oh, sorry. Yeah. Let okay. <laughs> so me get to no Cracker Jack. Um, we'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I went sorry. off course there. No, 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 no it's no, okay. No, no. Oh, please. We we yeah. tangent like crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you were talking about the um, her telekinetic powers, which are not mentioned, we have a scene right here, um, which is in the movie. It's a it's this is like probably one of the one of the most infamous scenes in the movie yeah. where um they all go to take a shower and I will say, I do not remember having like communal showers like this um, <laughs> at my high school mm-hmm. or okay. any school that I was at. So no, okay. that never. of course, also being a guy, I will say like teenage boys are gross. And so <laughs> it might've just been that there was, but none of us ever went to use it because we yeah. were teenage boys and therefore yeah. we were gross and just put on our, school clothes because we didn't care mm-hmm. yeah, that's um, yeah i'm gonna yeah. smell like a teenager anyway might as well just go <laughs> up to class <laughs> but i mean i do I, I mean i'm somewhat kidding there but like yeah i do remember like if there were showers not a lot of people use them in fact you were weird for using them right i think it was seen as sort of like a hey fellas is it gay if you shower yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i think it's more of a feature of british public school like communal showering we were talking about this the other day (laughs) i think it's changed a lot now i think some of of our younger friends reported that they have you know cubicles now and it's very much more like a you know like a nice nicer environment but yeah when i was when i was at school there were communal showers it was was awful horrible yeah that that (laughs) does sound pretty terrible like yeah yeah yeah. Um, but you know yeah, but I think you're right. Uh, you know, a lot of people, Matt, just didn't use them because, <laughs> you know, when you're a teenager, <laughs> yeah. when you're a teenager, you don't want to jump in a shower with all your friends. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So um, all the girls, like, they're all getting in the shower um, and Carrie get, uh, gets her first period and proceeds to, like, have this entire meltdown. And then the girls all start throwing tampons at her. Um. And then she freaks out and like the light bulb breaks and everybody scatters. Um, The show, however, takes this by like, they all get into a box. that's like hydro lifted up. 
if I remember correctly. Yeah. And there's a lot of fog. And I think they're still wearing their like outfits. <laughs> yes. Their togas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, their togas. A lot of it is like sound based. So yeah, um, I from what we we spoke to lots of the ensemble cast from the show, um, loads of them are still based here because the cast was half British. So mm-hmm. loads of them are still here in London. And um they had just these hilarious stories about trying to fix this scene. And they went through all kinds of costumes. Now, what, yeah, like you say, at one point, they were still wearing their weird toga mm-hmm. things. Another point, they just got chucked a load of, you know, high street store underwear that didn't mm-hmm. match their skin tone or anything. And I think it was, you know, it was one of these, another flaw that the show had in that they were trying to sort of fix these there were these enormous problems and yet they did they just kind of ignored the tiny things that were wrong with the show you know they just mm-hmm. threw these kind of cheap looking pants at these girls to wear yeah. in the shower mm-hmm. and the audience members that we spoke to were like what are they doing they're just kind of gyrating and doing these kind of like towel movements in their underwear while they're yeah. also singing a rather sweet song called dream on about like <laughs> the things that they wish happened in their little teenage lifestyle yeah. yeah, and I also think it's a terrible name because all I can think of is the other song "Dream On," oh, like the Aerosmith one. Yeah, the Aerosmith oh, yeah. song. <laughs> yeah, very different. <laughs> yeah, which I don't know if predated this or not, but yeah, I yeah. probably just yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. So it it's... seems like that would have been <laughs> something to like. Well, they didn't have Google back then. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Terry Hans probably did not know about Aerosmith. <laughs> I imagine. That makes sense. Um, so we get the whole thing. Um, all the girls mercilessly taunt her. Um, I don't think in the musical, they don't throw all the used tampons at her. Correct? Or did they? I don't think they actually do. I think they just okay. kind of taunt her. They sort of toss her around the stage. It's quite harrowing, actually, when you yeah. hear it. I, rem- I remember Lindsay said that she kind of didn't have to act, did she? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Quite scary, yeah. I think there's yeah. some of tonal shifts in it that's quite interesting. It's like they, they, they want it to be quite sweet. As you say, it's like it's kind of, it's, it's to humanise them. And then they do this kind of really quite barbaric thing. And then they're mm. all like, I guess it's to put them, I don't know, so, so mm. you can... Maybe to contextualize Sue, who ends up being yeah. one of the yeah. nice characters in it. Yeah. They, they I, I do blame a little bit or a lot of that on uh, Stephen King, who I don't think understands people who are not cishet straight men. <laughs> like right. I've read a, I've read a lot of his books, and I think he's a I think he's a very good author, but I think like when he strays out of writing straight white dudes he has some issues um i won't name names of the characters but there are people who have done much more research on that and thought pieces on that than i have but i think this is kind of one of the er examples like um i know a lot of people have basically said that like you know a a lot of women who have been like yeah no this wouldn't quite happen this way like Mm. even if you're doing the whole teenage girls can be terrible this would not (laughs) no one's chucking things it kind of came up it came up in an interview the other day that it's quite interesting that the show carry the show you know was written by three men it was directed Mm -hmm. by a man it did have a female choreographer but i think until you know 
even now the major productions of the show have all been directed by men often mm -hmm. gay men but oh. it's interesting that that you know for a show that has some very strong female characters you know it's quite mm -hmm. rare for, especially for a show of its time the male characters are kind of accessories they're not really leads mm -hmm. it's just got these sort of really strong female characters in the lead um for that to be directed by men completely is quite an interesting thing to have happened mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I, I wonder what a female-led production of Carrie might look like I think yeah it might be very different. yeah no I agree I've often wondered if um Carrie can be fixed <laughs> and that might be one big step towards getting that done <laughs> yeah yeah female bullying tends to be a lot more insidious than mm -hmm. than the kind of that, that pack mentality which is obviously you know much easier to dramatize isn't it it's, it's like mm -hmm. we understand that with that kind of trope the lord of the flies trope we get more that like mm -hmm. something primal ignites in a group of teenagers and they round on each other but yeah mm -hmm. it does tend to be a lot more a lot more like well like mean girls actually yeah 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 i remember um the first time i read the margaret atwood book uh cat's eye i love that book yeah and i thought it was amazing but then i was like talking to some friends about it and i was like i like this dynamic seems i i I forget ex what, exactly what question I had about it, but I remember like asking some of my friends and some of like a lot of my women friends were like, no, that was a lot of like the really shitty relationships that I had with other women growing up. Mm. And it was like, oh, okay. Cause that's not what I had as a dude with my other guy friends. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 There was yeah. a lot more like, I punch you, you punch me, and then we either make up or we never speak to each other again. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we interviewed um, a, a lovely guy called Stafford Arima who directs the, the revival of the show in 2012. And, um, you know, he approached the, the new version of the, sh of the show through this lens of bullying and this kind of endemic that was in the press, you can probably remember, you know, the early kind of 2010s. There was just this relentless slew of stories about high school shootings and these mm -hmm. you know online bullying videos of people being beaten up and everything like that and he kind of that set him thinking you know what would Carrie's story be like set now you know what would be the equivalent and I think you know bullying you know has always existed but I think is a much more uh visible thing nowadays I guess and I think you know the you can see examples of horrible bullying and its and its after effects all over the internet, whereas it probably in the eighties was much more contained in mm -hmm. schools. And you know, I, yeah, it's interesting to see how Carrie's story changes through that through that kind of lens of different timelines. Yeah, uh, yeah, especially like in how in a you know if if Carrie existed today, she probably would be taking out a lot of her aggression on. Um, fan fiction forums and finding people who think and act. <laughs> the way she does and kind of like ignoring other people at school while she has this like incredible online world with like all of these people that actually give a shit about her and then mm. it's like yeah exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Might not excuse me i'm off to write fan fiction about <laughs> <laughs> but I, I guess she's, she's also being bullied at home like yeah she's no, mm -hmm. no respite for her mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and here's where we have that transition um she sings the title song carrie um, wow. after everybody has like been bullying her and the the, the um, gym teacher is kind of like dispersing it all. She sings, 
her big title dropping number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just just to back up just for a second, uh, I I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't mention that the gym teacher was originally played by Darlene Love. Yeah. Um, who is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if if you guys get David Letterman or got David Letterman when he was uh, when he was still doing his talk show, but every year at Christmas she would come on and sing her uh, her um, Christmas song. Okay. The yearly tradition. And, All right. Okay. And she can yeah. still she can still belt her head off, love her to death. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think there was a great story that someone told about Darlene. Uh, you know, she was such a well known name, especially in New York. Mm. That you know, when she came on to do her first bit the audience just gave her this huge standing ovation and she almost, she kind of acknowledged it slightly. So there was this kind of weird crossover between the gym teacher and Darlene's mm, lives where she's yeah. kind of like, yeah, it is me. It's me. Um, yeah, it's uh, me. Oh. Stop being overweight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. She also did this thing on Saturday Night Live one year. They did like a stop motion animation uh, parody of her Christmas song. Uh, baby please come home but it was called christmas time for the jews uh and if you if you get it if you get a get a chance to youtube it i highly recommend it it's 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 very cute oh, thank you. <laughs> there's, a great, there's a great documentary i think you told me about it holly on netflix um i can't 20 feet from stardom 20 feet from stardom yeah yes yes oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, she's, a bit, she's a big part of that she's mm-hmm. amazing i mean just mm-hmm. the phil specter christmas album will, was my child of christmas like, yeah. her voice oh mm. uh, yes yeah. uh, so sorry <laughs> oh no 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 Back it's to fine. Carrie. sorry uh, yeah um, i like to derail things amazing. every now and again <laughs> yeah uh we are fir- we are now first introduced to carrie's mother margaret nice. white um with the song open your heart and it's basically her praying um and this is where like this show by this time has been like going back and forth and then like it takes like a hard left turn before it like (laughs) u-turns around and like gives you an incredible sense of whiplash again which i think could be useful but um because all of these songs are amazing um because we go into and eve was weak as carrie is telling her mother about her day at school Mm. um and this basically turns into uh the sin of Eve has been <laughs> inflicted upon you. Mm-hmm. You were not good enough. Um, and in the show, it's now it, in the book and in the movie, Carrie has a little closet that she has to like go. She's forced into, and that's where she prays. Uh, in the musical, she prays in the cellar. Yeah, because <laughs> why not? Why not change it? Exactly. Ooh, yeah. Why not? It's easier to like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. We, what, let's add a trap door yeah. to the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and in the set for this, again, with like continuing with our weird, like what the hell were they thinking? Um, they do a thing that you will then you will eventually see again in the Bridges of Madison County, where like it's a house surrounded by nothing on the stage. Um, this is like a wall and a fl- and a ranked floor. Yeah. I don't know why I'm doing hand motions as if like, people can see this. <laughs> doesn't translate well yeah (laughs) so there's like the back wall and then there's a a stage floor but that's also ranked which means it's been pitched um at an angle so you can kind of see up it it's all you have of the white home um i think there's like a chair and it's all like wood paneling and they both sing this incredible 
operatic duet mm. as Margaret like opens a door in the floor and forces Carrie to go into the cellar and pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Carrie's screaming and and mm-hmm. and, and uh L- Lindsay Hately like God love her. She has cords of steel because she just finished singing the song Carrie, which is already like seven minutes long. It's a very long song. And then she goes into this power ballad duet. um, And he was weak. It's, it's a big sing for Carrie. It's a big, big sing. Yeah. It's epic. It's a, it's a roller coaster of a a role. You Mm -hmm. you know, it's that the carry number is just enormous. It's like the big I want song and it gets this huge standing ovation. And then like you say, she's straight into she's straight into battle with with Margaret White. And but it's you know, it's a classic example of the show not being able to to pick a lane and stick to it. You've gone from these kind of, you know, ridiculously aerobic, um, you know, ultra camp opening numbers that belong in fame or greece and now you're back in this kind of opera style and then again in a second we veer off in another direction so it's you know the audience is having to you know really keep track of what's going on yeah and so is the cast most nights you know they change the show was changing so often that the cast could barely you know keep track of what was happening yeah yeah that's gotta be an issue like yeah (laughs) today i was stage right yesterday yeah, i was exactly. stage left yeah. which is it it was literally like that you know what one mm. of the cast was like this she she remembered one of the stage managers doing the announcement every night and being like guys you know if you can remember where you're supposed to be just go on and do your best basically oh wow <laughs> everyone, nobody knew what was going on by the end oh wow <laughs> yeah. go to stage left and pray <laughs> exactly two <laughs> pigs yeah and also, um, like, one of my favorite moments in the entire show is the very end of Aunt Eve Was Weak, because of that that bootleg of Betty Buckley. I don't know what her, like, arm choreo was, but, like, suddenly, like, she she becomes a cross. And then um, it's like she, ta- she takes a hold of the last note that she's going to say, or the ah of the amen, and she throws it on the ground as she sings... <laughs> Oh, man. Um, it's <laughs> masterful and it's camp camp is hell, but yes. I love it. Love yeah. it. every very yeah. It's a pure emotion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this also hits into a place. Speaking of camp, of I think one of the things I feel about camp classics across the board is that most people have no idea what they're in, and everybody involved is like giving it their all which is why i think it's hard to like make your own camp classic because mm-hmm. there's always going to be that detachment from it um like yeah. betty buckley knows what she's what scene she is in and she is giving it her all and so <laughs> is Lindsay hadley like both mm-hmm. of them are like committed and i feel that even like when we get back to the teenagers in a minute they are all committed Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. and I mean, these characters for these characters in their world, this is you know extremely serious stuff. You know, no yeah. one's no one's playing around. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Margaret White thinks that her daughter is the devil. You know, and she's got to do something about it. She's not. Yeah, mm-hmm. so she's she's taking things very seriously. Yeah. yeah, and so I I don't think any of these people are doing it with that view of like, oh God, this is terrible. What the hell is going on? No, no. And I think that's what really helps it elevate it to that camp classic level yeah. um 
the the big the big camp classic that I can compare this to would be Showgirls, where again you can tell everybody in that movie is one hundred and ten percent dedicated and one hundred percent committed, and then one hundred percent feels that they are doing the right thing with all of their acting choices, and that's what makes it like amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's so interesting. Like, obviously, spoiler alert: when the, when the when the, they get the notice that they're, they're they're closing, and a lot of people bemoaned it, being like, "If we just stayed open, it, we would have become Rocky Horror Picture Show. It would have been a camp classic. It would have been a cult classic." And you're like, I don't know if it would because if you'd known, yeah, you take like, that's what makes it camp is. Yeah. Everyone plays the reality. Everyone plays the stakes. Mm-hmm. If some people are kind of like winking at it, it's not going to have the same intensity, which is going to decrease the kind of the camp and the cult. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The fact that there was no uh, recording made and there was um, only what 20, 21 uh, performances on Broadway total. Yeah. And it that's what made it a legend of, mm-hmm. uh, of the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's, yeah, a, there's uh, a famous there's a famous quote I think it's from Lindsay who says if everyone who claims to have seen Carrie had actually gone to see Carrie it would still be running today because <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone you know there's so many people with stories about it but um, mm-hmm. so few people did get to see it that you know by the time it was announced it was closing we're getting ahead of ourselves but by the time it was announced it was closing <laughs> it was like the hardest ticket to get in mm-hmm. town yeah but, uh, yeah which is yeah fascinating about yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I find yeah the, the 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 comparison to Rocky Horror too. I find kind of be just like an interesting one because Rocky Horror has never done well on a Broadway stage, mm. like, and and even the movie itself did not do well, and it has only been in the like the re showings and the redoing and yeah. like the whole life it has had afterwards that yeah. has, it has become the camp classic that it is, yeah. but. From a and stage I, production, like the original cast, whatever, they make the movie, it's kind of just, eh, but the midnight showings are going on. Yeah. Um, and there was a revival years ago with what, Raul Sparza, I think it was? Yeah, and yeah. Leah Delaria and yeah. all sorts. And I don't even think that did that well. I don't think so. But yeah. also, it, I think that was more of a victim of 9-11. That... <laughs> that yeah 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 um but also we see we see this uh like the the cult following uh with a movie that was just very popular uh as of yesterday hocus pocus like it was not a success um (laughs) i remember seeing it in the theater in 92 and just thinking oh this is cute uh but just that nostalgia you know Mm -hmm. people just are like oh it's my favorite movie yeah. I've gotten into so many arguments about Hocus Pocus recently <laughs> because of that. I was also too old for Hocus Pocus, so it never hit me in the same place. But I also remember seeing a lot of the like the modern day 80s and 90s nostalgia movies in theaters. So right. um and I remember like uh I I remember a lot of like the fantasy movies from like the late 80s that are now standard just not doing well they were a flash in the pan yeah but you know you can't get away from like the princess bride now and i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm not saying it's a bad movie i'm just saying like it was that and clue and a whole bunch of other movies just they didn't do well in the theaters at the time yeah 
speaking of theaters and movies, the next scene we're going into <laughs> is at the drive-in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I forgot this is supposed Sorry. to be at a drive-in. I yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I oh, thought they God. were just parking. In a couple cars. <laughs> and, well, no, I thought that they were like. I thought they were like going to like like lovers lookout or whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's. I don't think much. You know, it's just true. Some somewhere with cars. I don't think they really. Again, you know, Terry Hans was probably like, "What's a drive? What's a drive-in? Car park or it's just bring on the cars." Yeah, Yeah. we have a place called Quick Fit in the UK. Maybe that's where they were going. Where you get your oil changed. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, just hanging out in your car is like a thing in the states as a teenager. Like, yeah, yeah. it's too cold to do that here. You can't just go and sit. Yeah, that's true. Car and seventeen. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. yeah, you guys like learn to drive when you're like nine or something, don't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Let loose. On well, the it it depends. I, like in the suburbs or in more rural areas, no one's yeah. around. You might as well. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Texas, and so, um, like, I learned to drive a tractor. And so, okay, I grew up in the city of Houston, so, like, I grew up in an urban environment, and but I have family out in, like, the rural, like, in the sticks. Um, and, like, while my experience was not that, I also got to see a lot of the teenagers out there who, like, were, like, learning to drive their parents' thresher at, like, age nine <laughs> so that they can help out with the chores oh, on the right. farm. <laughs> um, and it's not that difficult to, like, make that upgrade from, like, tractor trailer or, like, hay baler to, yeah. like, motorized, ve- like, the next motorized vehicle <laughs> up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so depending upon the setting like yeah you probably like there are a lot of american teenagers who learned how to drive when they were nine <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um and for my parents um the school that i went to was about tw- like a 20 30 minute drive away so uh in the like before i could drive my my mother would like or my mother or father would drive me before they went to work but like once i hit 16 they were like not anymore because <laughs> they wouldn't pick me I, I had to take the bus to come back home and so that was like a good like 30 45 minutes to an hour to get back home yeah. um and that wasn't bad but like and i also i was in band and our band rehearsals were like, symphonic band rehearsals were an hour before school started so i had to get there even earlier so i by the time i was 16 i was getting up before my parents so i could get out of the house by six so i get to school at seven for God. band practice yeah you need it you need a car for that you need a car yeah, yeah. whereas so, yeah. like in in new york i know people who are like 35 yeah. and never learned how to drive because yeah. they never had to mm-hmm. i did my driving test this year I'm <laughs> yeah so it's taken me this long <laughs> i couldn't participate in the drive-in scene of carrying <laughs> i mean you could because those cars could, well, are not yeah, that's true. <laughs> those cars are made out of cheap cereal boxes yes yeah the yeah the the budget of the show was not employed on this scene it's i uh, don't know where yeah. the budget was employed then because <laughs> i guess so yeah we we have don't waste the moon the all the teenagers are like on these like flat front of car looking things and they all have headlights sticking out of them and the headlights actually work and they're shining into the audience and all of the kids are like popping out of the tops like um 
the not since Carrie book refers to this as like, is this, you know, is this Carrie or is this Bye Bye Birdie? And he, yeah. he has a good point because they're all like popping in and out, like um, the opening number, the, yeah. what's the story? The, the, oh, the telephone hour? The... Yeah, the telephone hour. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the song is a bop. It is. It is. It is. Yeah. It's a lot of catchy. Yeah. Yeah. Don't waste the moon. Um, it makes no sense. Like, what does that mean? But it's um, <laughs> there's all of these kind of like slightly rude, cheeky references to uh, you know all the teenagers do mm. you know doing naughty things in the cars. Yeah. But, um, all we ever do is park. Then for hours you grope me in the dark. There you go. <laughs> Sometimes can sleep easy with that kind of lyric flying around. But um, <laughs> a, a big thing about the cars was that um, that this the scene change hardly ever worked. I think on the fill on the bootleg video it works, but apparently it very rarely worked. So mm. usually the song would stop while the stagehands came on and pushed the, the stupid cars on <laughs> while the cast were kind of standing in them going, "What do we do?" <laughs> um, so it was yeah, it was the show's first big. Like, well, no, it wasn't. I was going to say it was the show's first big, you know, you know mm. crazy moment, but it definitely wasn't that. Which is kind of fascinating because that type of issue is still happening today. Um, I, I mentioned this, like, when I went to go see Groundhog Day, the musical, there's a part where they're all sitting at a bar and then the bar, like, transforms into a pickup truck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is that, like, certain parts of the bar like move away they're still in their seats the seats get lowered and then like some stagehands kind of come out with like doors and like like they're holding the doors onto the car but um like when i went to go see it in previews the the something in the hydraulics didn't work so it did not come together (laughs) so they're still having issues with their fake cars and their transitions which god love that's that's a stagehand's nightmare but like yeah Yeah. they do that work I think in the I think in the eighties in particular, people had only just started getting used to this this idea mm-hmm. of a show being stopped because you mm-hmm. had all these shows suddenly that were relying on automation and mm-hmm. technology instead of the old fashioned, you know, people pushing on a backdrop or something. So mm-hmm. you know, I think Carrie quite often would break several times during the performance and it would go yeah. up late. And I think pe- it was the first time that people were kind of s- experiencing this phenomenon of having <laughs> to wait while something was fixed on stage. And as you say, you know, mm. it still happens, still yeah. happens now. But um, that does remind me a little bit of like being a kid in California because my grandparents lived out in California and like we'd go to Disney and there would be a lot of days like in the late 80s and early 90s when um, there would be sort of like like Splash Mountain would be down because the hydraulics weren't working right. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone would be furious. Yeah. 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 But like, we were like, well, we're never, we don't really want to wait for three hours anyway. So yeah. let's go, <laughs> let's go back to the Haunted Mansion. <laughs> yeah. Again. Um, so after Don't Waste the Moon, we go immediately back to the, the white home and yes. Carrie is out of the basement. She is. She's. <laughs> She's escaped. Yeah. Um, they're singing evening prayers. Uh, they apologize to each other and we end the scene. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, um, yeah. Like the, the evening prayers, like it's pretty, but it also kind of is just sort of like we've had all of this emotion and it's mm. just kind of finally a chance to breathe in a way. And it would be that way if we didn't have Don't Waste the Moon. Mm. I wonder if they should be switched. I don't know. I'd have to like see. Yeah. It. But like, and also, yeah. I th- it, 
if memory serves, and I'm, I, I may be completely wrong about this, after evening prayers, isn't there like another little like hint at telekinesis? Because because like you like like you said, they never mention the word. They mm-hmm. never really talk about it, but just occasionally something would catch fire or something yeah. would levitate <laughs> and it's completely unexplained. And I thought that there was something oh. that happened at the end of evening prayers, but I could be wrong or I could be thinking ahead. I don't know. Yeah, the, again, with the technology, you know, they had all these tr- tricks throughout the show where there'd be sparks and light bulbs or her dress dances at one point, but a lot mm. of the time this stuff didn't work. So mm-hmm. the audience members that we spoke to, you know, the, there's a great example somebody had of Betty Buckley turning around dramatically to look at something that was supposed to catch fire and it just didn't happen most nights. So she just mm. kind of ended up being like, for God's sake, where's the fire? So, mm. um, so I'm trying to, again, I'm doing a thing. Which <laughs> yeah, say, well, that's okay. <laughs> Dramatic look to the side. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They tried the theater make- version of like, oh, I think I hear the phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> here it is. Um, I also because yeah, I can't remember because in the book there's a lot more signs of her telekinesis. And in fact, like it's supposed to be a whole treatise on this is the first documented case of telekinesis in the U.S. Mm. Um. Yeah. And I can't, I do sometimes get the end of evening prayers confused with, um, I remember how those boys could dance where mm-hmm. she does manifest her powers at uh, her mother. But um, in the book, I know there's been little glimpses of like, she like is like playing around with a hairbrush at some point in time in the book. And she's like practicing in her room. Yeah. Um, she breaks it. She like kind of smashes a mirror, I think, with mm-hmm. her mind as well, which you know is hard yeah. to do on stage. I guess. Yeah. Weird, like yeah, just like mm. you have to do acting like um, in was it Age of Ultron where uh, the Scarlet Witch kept having to do these like hand motions and like stare at things, really, like yeah. And you kind of want to like buff like or have you, have you ever, ever if you've ever seen the the before everything gets edited in of the Marvel movies and it shows them like bouncing <laughs> down this street, but like they have to do it really yeah. weirdly because nobody moves like that. But then once you've <laughs> added all the edited in and like have their capes flowing in the wind and have like them bounding around, bounding across buildings, <laughs> it looks fine. But when they're doing it without any editing, it's just like, yeah. they look silly. Yeah, green screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I guess it's like, that's what, you know, Matilda was is is a lot yeah. of that. It's yeah. like okay. little girls mm. got really lots of focusing acting. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always said that um, Carrie is just kind of a dark Matilda. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and a musical produced by the Royal Shakespeare Company. For some Very reason, they, Very they cool. seem to Very be cool. they seem to be obsessed with musicals about telekinetic young girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, weird. Especially, I mean, and also. Matilda's pretty dark too, like yeah. pokey. Yeah, like yeah, a... right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what's not dark? Well, actually, it's dark. But um, <laughs> the next day, the gym teacher, who I I didn't realize the gym teacher can assign detention like this, um, <laughs> uh, tells Sue, and actually, she tells all of the girls they're not allowed to prom. Oh wait, no. She says they, they can't go to prom unless they apologize. And mm-hmm. everybody but Chris apologizes. And that's when she tells Chris that she can't go to prom. Yeah. Um, and then she sings a ballad to Carrie. <laughs> she does. <Yeah. laughs> Unsuspecting hearts. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like it was added just so that Devin Love is that Darlene name? Love. Darlene Love. I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm if you haven't, I'm terrible with names. Um, I feel like that was added for her. <laughs> it's it is a very like uh, pop ballad uh, that you would hear mm-hmm. on the radio. Yeah, it's, it's you know. It's, it's yeah, I think they I think they kind of intended it as again if you compare it to, you know, the other big mega musicals that were opening, you have these kind of songs that are almost kind of you can kind of pull out of the show and use it as a kind of pop song. You had mm-hmm. like memory and cats that could mm-hmm. be taken out and kind of used as the mainstream song if you if you see mm-hmm. what I mean. I think this I think Unsuspecting Hearts was probably mm-hmm. what they were trying to do along those Or at the time that this was the moment was sung at the Olympics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was uh, recorded out of context by Emily Skinner and Alice Ripley. Yeah. uh, Like in the what late nineties or something, they did a Mm -hmm. duets album. Yeah. Yeah. And Alice went on to play Margaret White in uh, in Seattle a few years ago. Yeah. Fact. (laughs) I think Emily Skinner was a teacher at AMDA. I never had her, but um, because I remember one of the two women from sideshow was a teacher at amda but i don't think it was alice ripley because i think alice ripley was actually like i i hate to use this term and i'm so sorry emily skinner but it was like doing things because <laughs> I, I believe i went because th- like she was in next to normal right mm-hmm. yeah yeah because yeah. i remember like next to normal happening at the same time that amda was i was at amda and i don't think like we had teachers who would like go off and do shows like there was one of my tap teachers had just come in from, uh, she was a swing in a chorus line and she had was telling us stories about her time working in the chorus at Dracula the Musical. Um, wow, love it. But she was also like teaching during the day, performing at night, but she was also part-time. I think Emily Skinner was full-time. So yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Emily Skinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's like my one, my, actually my two AMDA connections to sort of backwards through Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we um we speak to we speak to Alice in the podcast as well, nice. and she she's just has uh, so many amazing points of view on stuff. And uh, she said yeah, that doing yeah, you know even though she'd done Next to Normal and she won a Tony for it, and she'd done all these other amazing shows, she she pointed out Carrie as being you know her favorite mm-hmm. part that she played, um, which is really interesting because it was kind of you know not the most it was it was not in it was not on broadway it was a regional production but still she kind of really got into that role and mm. it was quite interesting because she was you know the roles that she's played have all been quite sort of unhinged mm. mother type characters she's yeah. always played that kind of mm. in, in next mm. to normal and american psycho she's always kind of played that that mother role um mm. maybe margaret white is probably the most unhinged of all of them i think but mm. um he wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a clip. Somebody like from a you know a, a YouTube clip of her doing, uh, and Eve was weak, and she's just yeah, uh, she's, she's thrilling. Oh. She's thrilling to watch. Yeah, yeah, great casting. Mm. Yeah. So after our breakaway pop hit, um, yeah. uh, Sue asked Tommy to take Carrie to the prom instead of her with the song "Do Me a Favor." Yeah, yes. it's my it's favorite part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I love it mine would probably be out for blood so yeah Yeah. Yeah, i mean a close second yeah (laughs) but yeah it's um 
still don't understand why it happens, but yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the thing about Do Me a Favor is it's everything that people think Carrie the Musical is. You know, mm. it's it's insane. The choreography is insane. The lyrics make no sense. The costumes mm. are just from another dimension. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's just this weird mashup of everything that's wrong with the show all in one perfect number. And it's still mm. in it. Yeah. And it's still out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? And originally, uh, Chris was played by uh, Charlotte D'Amboise. Is that yeah. is that correct? Yeah. Another. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how popular she is in in London or how much she's how she's done there. But uh, she's pretty big on Broadway. She yeah. Uh, yeah. she's done a lot. And she's, Haven't we discussed her before in the show? Or? I think so. Because uh, she okay. was in. I'm trying to think what what show she. She has been in that we've talked about. Uh, um, Chicago and I think she, did, I think she, yeah, she's done. She's, she's. I think she most recently was in Chicago when, yeah. when the lockdown happened. But she's been in so many things. She yeah. was in Pippin and the Course yeah, Line Revival. Pippin, and, yeah, 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 definitely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, she's she's great. She's amazing. She's she works yeah. all the time. Amazing. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah she's, um, she. We decided she's the best theatrical villain of all. <laughs> in Carrie, she's, yeah. She gets the best uh, lines. She gets the best costumes. Yeah. She gets the best song. The best song. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Um, so Tommy goes to and asks Carrie out. Uh, Carrie agrees. And then she goes to tell her mother the news, invited. Yeah. Uh, with the song, invited. And then this goes into I Remember How Those Boys Could Dance, which ends up act one. And one of the things that always kind of bothered me about Carrie especially with this is how how much she tells her mother <laughs> like I have a very good relationship with my mom and my mother is very religious and we do not see eye to eye on a lot of things and there's a lot of things when I was 15 I did not tell her <laughs> and I was raised fairly religious. I mean, it was Catholic, so it's a very different type of, you know, religious than like the evangelical or the non-denominational evangelicalness that is Mrs. White. Um, yeah. So I'm not 100% certain if that's a, if I'm just have a different upbringing. <laughs> but yeah, like how much she like ends up talking to her mother about these things and her mother like tells, like, I remember how these boys could dance is kind of like, like, oh my, you have a past and you're talking about it to your daughter? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of all comes spilling out. I think mm. again, again, a bit of a flaw of the show is that you in the novel you get much more backstory about mm -hmm. uh Carrie's kind of um ancestors. I think that it's kind of suggested that her power comes from her father and mm -hmm. the kind of the, the way that her father treated her mother is to blame for the way that her mother treats her. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, none of that is mentioned in the show, obviously, but I yeah. think they're trying to hint that, you know, something has gone on in the past and also yeah. that Margaret is finally having this kind of breakdown that leads to the end, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wonder, and, and, and the book it's done as like, like, flashbacks in from margaret's point of view like you're seeing it from her point of view she is not really bringing it up to carrie i yeah. think it's been a while since i read the book yeah. um and i don't think you could do a um sorry there is a musical that has never made it to broadway and it ran for a very short period of time in houston 
um, to rave reviews, but apparently did not go anywhere. Um, but it was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, the yes. musical. Yeah. Mm. Oh. I remember <laughs> when that happened. Yeah. Millicent Martin was was Baby Jane, wasn't she? I think what? so, yeah. Yeah. And apparently they had these whole scenes of like flashbacks of when the two of them were famous actors. And so they had like, there was a whole spread of like the costumes I remember and like of all the details in the costumes. And I think they even had it so that all of the flashbacks were in black and white. And so they have all of these scenes like where just everything goes away and all of these like actors in black and white glamorous 1920s outfits are like dancing around the stage. I don't think you could do that with this show for this <laughs> purpose, but full yeah. flash yeah, flashback. <laughs> yeah. It, it just moves so quickly. I don't think there's time for a flashback. Before yeah. long, mm-hmm. she's flinging her back in that cellar, and, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. and that's when Carrie like lashes out and basically like tells her to sit down in this rocking chair, and I'm going to make you do it with my mind, and I'm going to go to that prom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. She, while flames come out of my fingertips somehow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, again, you know, by this point, you know, if you didn't know what was going on, if you're sitting in the audience and you had no clue, suddenly Carrie's hands are on fire. What does uh, that mean? You know, so, it was, it, and then the audience just sent off to the bar in this confused <laughs> state of not knowing what the hell is going but on. But where did the gasoline come from? Yeah. <laughs> serious we actually we asked Lindsay how she set her hands on fire and she wouldn't tell us she kept it secret oh okay. <laughs> her. yeah yeah i think it was just like the the joe blue thing uh, where he's like he goes like yeah. does with his hand and there's supposed to be like a fireball but nothing ever comes yeah. out no. 80 special um, effects yeah it's true <laughs> Um, and that is where we'll end act one we're gonna take a small intermission and get back to all of you uh with our next episode which will be act two act two Uh, (laughs) all right some of of the best moments of the show are in act two yes Mm, yes uh so until we are back um we will thank you to our guests for for joining us as well yes thank you for having us lovely (laughs) we'll say Thank you. Thank you, Five. Thank you very much for listening to Thank You, Five. We would think it would be super awesome if you would leave us a positive review on whichever podcatcher you found us on and make sure to hit that subscribe button. We also rely on word of mouth, so please tell your friends. You can also find us on Facebook at TY5Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Thank You, Five Pod. The five is spelled out. Music by James Higgins. Cover art by Elizabeth Brozak. Five minutes, please. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.